0: Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late
1: checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
0: This Father's Day, the Home Depot has the perfect gift to help Dad be everything he can be because your dad is more than just a dad. He's the groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. This Father's Day, power Dad's doing with the convenience, and gas like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. Find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at Home Depot.com.
2: When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, We guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store or online. Kroger, fresh
0: for everyone. Spectrum Internet has enough speed to handle all your needs so you can work, game and stream with speeds up to a gig. Plus, Spectrum's advanced Wi-Fi provides enhanced security for all your connected devices. Get Spectrum Internet with fast and reliable speeds, starting at just $29.99 a month with a two-year price guarantee. Visit spectrum.com slash internet for you for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Restrictions apply.
3: What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Ben Golver with The Washington Post. I am joined on the other line by Michael the Pod, Pina, who continues to crank out amazing story after amazing story for GQ538 and every other website practically on the internet. Now, Michael, the NBA gives and the NBA takes away, doesn't it? And it surely gave to you over the weekend with the Boston Celtics' triumphant Game 7 victory over the Toronto Raptors. They advance. Uh, to the Eastern Conference Finals where they face uh, the Miami Heat. Game one of that series will begin on Tuesday, and I'm sure we're going to dive into that pretty deeply later in this podcast. But the NBA also takes away, Michael, unfortunately. And I think a number of our listeners are demanding justice here, demanding accountability for all of your opinions about the Los Angeles Lakers here over the last month or so. I'm just going to read a couple, a sampling of the emails that we got over the weekend following the Los Angeles Lakers eliminating the Houston Rockets from the second round of the playoffs um, in five games. Of course, uh, anyone new to the show needs to realize that Michael has predicted the Rockets would win the title for what, the last 17 years in a row, Michael? Is that right? Something like that, yeah.
1: And just feel free to, you know, Go as quickly as you want through these emails. (laughs) We don't need to really, you know, sit in them for too long.
3: Michael, they got a little bit personal, so I'm going to start with a nice one. How's that sound? All right, Andre, he says, I'm from Brazil. You were part of some of the greatest moments I've had in this pandemic. I was jogging along Flamengo Beach here in Rio, watching the sunrise with the Christ the Redeemer statue and the sugar loaf on the horizon as I listened to you guys scramble for subjects to talk about with games suspended. Michael, aren't we so glad we could make his life better with our... uh, our fruitless attempts at filling time. Congratulations. Anyway, Andre says, my question's about the Lakers. I know they're regarded as big contenders, but it feel like, feels like their flaws, which are pretty clear, tend to make analysts pick the Clippers instead of them. I don't know if I'm getting this from a specific bubble of Lakers skeptics, but I don't see enough evidence to doubt their chances. To me, they should be the top title favorite right now, says Andre. We got another question a little bit uh, a little bit more pointed from Mate. He says, don't get me wrong, I love our man Michael the Podpina, but shouldn't he be held accountable for some of his horrible takes? First, Portland won over the Lakers, and then Houston uh, was supposed to win it all. That last take did not age well, Michael, to say the least. He deserves to be roasted properly, Ben. And he went on to note that the Lakers have great chemistry. They've been in good form. They don't have to worry about a playoff P meltdown. Um, their depth has surprised people. And then we got another question from Adrian in Kansas. We don't hear too often from Kansas, Michael, so that's how you know you really piss some people off. He says, this is only the second time I've sent an email to the podcast, but there was no way I was gonna not going to be able to write this. Michael, 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 you already know what this email is about, so please just go ahead and let out your typical sigh that you make uh, that gets everyone to think you're actually content with yourself for making such awful predictions. First, it was picking the Lakers to be upset in the first round by the Blazers by an eighth seed, and then it was taking the Rockets in six in the second round before the start of the playoffs. I'm not going to rub this into your face excessively because I've already achieved enough satisfaction just by how thoroughly my Lakers, led by the greatest 35-year-old basketball player of all time, trounced the Blazers and the Rockets after going down 0-1 in both series. I do want to know, though, what do you have to say for yourself? What are your excuses? Are you going to blame Damian Lillard's injuries? Are you going to credit the resurgence of playoff rondo? I implore you not to use your Boston Celtics winning as a means of vindicating yourself with these picks. So, Michael, I mean, like I said, there was a few people a little bit upset over there at uh, openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. Um, what did you think? What do you make of uh, the backlash to your takes, first of all? And what do you have to say for yourself? <laughs> well, uh,
1: I mean... If I was a Lakers fan, I would hate me too. I just wanna, you know, get that out of the way. So <laughs> I don't I don't really blame uh any of the criticism. It's understood. Uh I, I mean, look, like the Blazers prediction, I'll just start there. Like, in my heart, I knew I was trolling. I knew that the Lakers were better. They have LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Like the shooting I did think was a concern. Uh, that needed to be pointed out, and I was a little hyperbolic uh, in my commitment to an upset. There, the Rockets, honestly, like I, I, I thought that the Rockets were going to win that series, and they look. I think it starts with, um, it starts with just Westbrook, and I think we're going to probably spend a good portion of this talking about him, and he just was so uh, atrocious for the entire series in a way that really highlights like the, the physical, we we've known for a long time that once Russell Westbrook started to decline physically, that it would be, um, a very disturbing picture. And that's either like, I don't know if it's the quad injury or the leg injury or, or, or what, but, or this is just age induced, uh, decline, but He just doesn't look good, and he's kind of delusional. Um, uh, You know the the clip of him uh, taunting Rondo uh, with his team down by like twenty plus points, saying that Rondo they needed to send the double team, and LeBron just like cackling in his face. Like that stuff is it's it's tough. Like if I knew that Ron, if I'm sorry, if I knew that Westbrook was going to play that bad then obviously I wouldn't have picked the Rockets. But, you know, I I do want to also just give credit to obviously LeBron, who I didn't necessarily, I mean, doubting LeBron is what fools do. And I wouldn't say I've doubted him, but uh, I did not expect him to look uh, as athletic as he has in year 17, 35 years old. Um, You know, his defensive burst, his just like coast to coast strength and power. It looks like it's 2009, honestly. Um, And AD is just, I wrote a piece for GQ that should be up by the time our episode posts. I wrote a piece for GQ about Anthony Davis and just the historical tear that he's been on statistically. And we kind of overlook him a little bit, at least I do from the sense that I haven't seen him perform in the playoffs. So I'd like to see it. And he's performing in the playoffs to a degree that very, very, very few players have ever performed. Um, so uh, apologies, uh, to Laker fans. Um, and you know, uh, if I'm going to contrast them really quick with the Los Angeles Clippers, um, the Lakers did not have to play Luka Doncic in round one and did not have to play this vaunted Denver Nuggets team in round two.
3: Yeah, it's pretty interesting how their storylines have flipped, right? Um, The things that we were really concerned about them back in July, now that we're deep into the heart of September, they almost feel like quaint or like old news. You know, I mean, we were worried about their path through the playoffs was like going through Lillard, who was red hot, and then this crazy... You know, Rocket small ball strategy, was that a tougher matchup than maybe, you know, I think we said that the Clippers were on like the easier side of the the Western Conference bracket, at least I did. And that really hasn't been uh, proven true at all. We were really worried about the Lakers supporting cast, you know, three through 12 and their shooting. And against Houston, they had plenty of shooting, and the supporting cast guys, whether it was Rondo, Markeith Morris, and Alex Caruso all had big moments. Those guys all stepped up. You know, we were really nervous. Okay, no Avery Bradley um, as a backcourt stopper, and you've got to go through all these uh, guards to get to the finals. Like, could that make them sort of uh, vulnerable to an upset? Uh, That proved to be not an issue at all. Instead, Frank Vogel unlocks his small ball lineup finally. It does feel like he maybe was sitting on this for like six months, but... He unlocks their um, Anthony Davis at center lineup, and all of a sudden, guards are struggling to score and, and looking totally, uh, you know, totally bewildered, and they're trapping all over the place, and things are looking great for them. And then, of course, there's LeBron himself, who in July spent a lot of the early time here in the bubble complaining about the bubble and not really looking like he was ramped up and dropping game one against Portland and having kind of a so-so seating round. That made everybody nervous about his age. And instead, here now that we're into September, you could tell he's been on this just gradual ramp up period. I think he's been, you know, in incredible control. I'm not sure anybody had a better second round than he did in terms of orchestrating um, the action. And he looks like he's peaking at the exact right moment. So I go back to what Andre said in the one polite email that I read with the Lakers, you know, potentially being now viewed as the the top title contender. I think mm-hmm. I'm there, Michael. I wrote that in my newsletter this week. I think when you're coming out of that second round, um, even including the Miami Heat, I don't think anybody had a better second round than the Lakers did. If you look at that small ball lineup I mentioned, they haven't played a ton of minutes, but it's the best net rating of any lineup um, in the league. I'm not sure which of the teams that are remaining, including the Clippers, can match up five on five with that group particularly well. I say that in part because Montrez Harrell has really struggled for the Clippers, um, and, I, and I say that also because, you know, a guy like Patrick Beverly's been injured and, you know, he fouls out with like 10 minutes to go from game six. And there's just all these weird questions looming over the uh, the Clippers and their best groups right now. Uh, you look at the, the Lakers also playing at the number one defensive efficiency for Western Conference teams in the playoffs, um, really dismantling what Houston was trying to do on offense and, and making it look easy. You add all those things up, and, and you have the LeBron James factor, where whoever he might have to play in the finals is going to be a huge uh, experience disadvantage. I mean, nobody from Boston or or Miami, in terms of their key players, has finals experience. He doesn't have to worry about the defending champion Raptors. He wouldn't have to worry about Giannis in the Bucks. I feel like this is setting up pretty well for LeBron Nation, Laker Nation. And I'm just you know curious. Are you starting to get nervous, Michael? Are you worried that? Uh, this entire bubble experience that we've invested hundreds of hours into is going to end with a Laker title, your worst possible outcome?
1: Uh, look, I think that there are a lot of players on the Lakers who have have looked a lot better than I expected. Rondo has looked sensational. Uh, Markeith Morris is hitting shots in a small ball lineup, and and he's able to... Uh, I mean, he's given Frank Vogel enough confidence to go to that unit, and as you said, they've performed really well. Um, I think, like, you know, I was a little bit tongue in cheek when I was talking about the the matchups um, that you know the Clippers had to f- have had to face, and versus what the Lakers have had to face. But I do think that that kind of matters. I think matchup. A lot of the Lakers' success has been matchup contingent, and and some of that is because. Uh, you know, they're the top seed, so they play worse well, teams. Let me ask you uh, on that. Teams.
3: We, we had kind of thought that maybe Houston would dictate the matchups in that series, right? And maybe that would lead yeah. the Lakers to scrambling, or maybe it would lead to a longer series if, if the Lakers did win it, right? Um, I think I picked Lakers in six, and I even felt like that one potentially could go seven heading into the series. So how do we explain now that they're in a, a matchup against Houston where there's clear stylistic differences and they pose some problems during the regular season for the Lakers? Is this all just a fact that Westbrook was um, basically the ultimate self-sabotager we've ever seen in NBA history? Or do we credit the Lakers' versatility and adjustments or um, or just simply LeBron stepping up, like I mentioned? I mean, are all those things factors here that we need to start weighing as we look forward?
1: Yeah, for sure. I think let's start with LeBron. I mean, the Rockets had no answer for LeBron and it got we talked a little sad that. didn't
3: it a little bit in the, the towards the end of game four and five where he's just kind of pulverizing his way to the hoop play after play
1: yeah I mean he was toying with them Anthony Davis was toying with them um he basically broke P.J. Tucker who was so ineffective uh, by the end of that series on both ends which is really uncharacteristic for him um and Yeah, like, when you have P.J. who's trying his best on Anthony Davis, they don't really want to switch P.J. off of A.D. for that whole series. Um, And LeBron, there's just nobody who can... Like, P.J. is probably the best LeBron defender on the team. So if he's occupied by A.D., there's just really no... I mean, they put Harden on him a little bit in Game 5, and that was whatever. Uh, It's like... LeBron is just such a a matchup nightmare. And he didn't, like, there's always, like, uh, uh, options that he can go to when you take something away from him. It's like, so you're defending the pick and roll with AD really well. You know, you're packing the paint and and guys are missing threes. Okay, so what do you do? It's like, LeBron's just like, okay, I'm going to isolate here and put my head down and get to the rim. Or I'm going to post up on the left block here and force you to double team me, Um, and if you don't, I'm going to get a layup, or I'm going to go to the free throw line, Um, and so he was just uh, stupendous, I thought, and really, Houston's defense had no answers for him, Uh, and I think, like, on top of LeBron being this huge factor, I really can't stress enough how terrible Westbrook was and how he played right into the hands of LA's strategy, which was, to Frank Vogel's credit, really smart. Like, the way that, the, how they timed the double teams with James Harden, where they doubled him on the floor, um, when in the shot clock they came, and, and from what angles they sent uh, a second man to squeeze the ball from his hands. I thought that was really smart and executed well for the most part, but, like, man, like uh, Russell Westbrook just yeah. compounded that over and over again. And he would make, you know, there were plays where he would cut to the free throw line and then get get rid of it immediately and swing it to a corner for an open three. Um, and you're just like, okay, that is how you beat this defense. That is what you do. And he would do it like once a quarter maybe when it needs to be done repeatedly, uh, possession after possession. And so every time he would take a contested two, or he would attack LeBron at the rim or challenge AD at the rim. And you just knew that it was not going to be successful. Um, It almost always led to a Lakers opportunity in transition. And as we talked about, like the Lakers in transition, that is what they want to do. That is when they're A-plus, an A-plus basketball team. So it's just like... The things that Westbrook did, the decisions that he made, um, the fact that he could not, like Westbrook is just so useless if he cannot beat his man off the bounce without a screen as he's done his entire career. He could not beat Markeith Morris off of the bounce, off the dribble without a screen in this series. Like it was, it was dark. I haven't seen him play this poorly from a physical perspective in his entire career. And that is a factor here. So when we talk about like the lineup data and all that, you have to like keep in mind that you know you're going up against uh, basically four players. Yeah, they were playing uh, six on
3: four because Westbrook was on the Lakers team. <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly, and and we haven't even brought up the whole Daniel House thing. And I don't think that the that that, that was, you know, I don't think Daniel House would have been a savior here. I do think that he's a huge factor, though, in this particular matchup. It was a
3: a major factor. Let's hold that for one second, because I want to make one final point here about the Lakers, and we're going to hop into the Rockets talk. Everyone has talked about, you know, games every other day, you know, how that's wearing down on guys. Will that affect older players and benefit younger players? And you look at some of the teams that have actually advanced— Um, You know, Boston uh, versus Toronto would be one example. They were fresher in game seven, Miami and Milwaukee. I thought uh, Milwaukee's players looked old at times in that series, right? The Lakers, because of the shutdown, followed by the quick first series, followed by this quick second series, followed by the Clippers not closing it out, they're going to only have played five games. Uh, sorry, six games in the 24 days leading up to the Western Conference Finals, which is pretty wild because they're going to have had five rest days uh, after each series, plus the shutdown days on top of it. So LeBron is going into the Western Conference Finals fully rested. He could not ask for anything better. And I think that's just one other major factor kind of keep in mind here. Mm-hmm. Uh, all year long, I like Clippers over Lakers. Um, uh, You know, but this will not necessarily be an even field once they get out there because the Clippers are going to be coming off what's been a way tougher series than they expected. You know, they've they've blown multiple leads. They've had to deal with all sorts of questions about their chemistry and their lineups and everything else. And the Lakers are not only peaking at the right time, but they're resting, they're recovering, Um, you know, they're, they're biding their time and everything else heading into that series. So to me, I think that's a factor, especially when you look at the fact these teams have been here now for more than two months straight. I don't think you could ignore it. You hear so many different teams talk about the value of recovery and routines and everything else. And LeBron spent all Sunday watching like 14 hours of football while the Clippers were, you know, getting their their face kicked in by Nikola Jokic. Like that's that's just definitely going to be a factor going forward. So people could watch that one. Now, in terms of the Rockets, we've got some updates here. First of all, the NBA's investigation, as you mentioned, did determine Daniel House broke, uh, rules by having an unauthorized guest in his hotel room. He w- basically left the bubble early before game five and his team wound up joining him about, you know, 24 or 48 hours later. Um, James Harden said after the series publicly, um, that, you know, it, it really was a major factor. It affected them because it was his big distraction right in the middle of the series at the worst possible time before game three, mm-hmm. when they're tied one, one, uh, talking to people around that team. Even before the series was over, it was clear that they were blindsided by the NBA's investigation. They didn't like how it was handled. They felt like House was targeted. They felt like he was a really important player. If you were going to make any sort of an adjustment away from Westbrook, House was going to be the guy. He had stepped up and started, you know, when Westbrook was injured at times during these playoffs. And their best option to kind of wean off of Westbrook in any way was just suddenly taken away from them. And I think even more than that, you have this team togetherness feeling when you're in the bubble of like, hey, you know, we all have to go by these rules. It sucks. One guy breaks the rules according to the NBA. And, you know, it's just kind of the straw that breaks the back, right? Your life is already tough. The bubble is already just, you know, lots of adversity baked into it. And here's this guy, you know, kind of blowing it for everybody, um, you know, being the weak link. And I think that really got to them psychologically. This is a team that struggled to deal with adversity year after year in past uh, past playoffs. And I think that, you know, they, they reacted just about as poorly as you could. You saw the effort level in game four just atrocious i mean terrible you know westbrook jackie shots hard and not getting back on defense you know all that stuff wrapped up together and then in game five you know it was sort of like they gave it the old college try you know that hard went out there and got 30 they went through the motions but that thing was over practically before it started so um that has now led to another major development which is mike D'Antoni, the coach will not be back in houston um, they'll obviously open a a coaching search there i'm curious though what is the potential for even bigger changes in Houston? Because I think that they were coming off such a high after that first-round series win, um, they can kind of claim a victory at least short-term on the Chris Paul trade because they're able to eliminate the Thunder from the playoffs, um, if you want to paint it that way. But now the coach is gone. I think there's going to be some questions about Daryl Morey's role given the whole Hong Kong fiasco, and we'll see how that shakes out. We know the owner. Is pressed for cash because he's told us, you know, approximately seventy-five times (laughs) during the uh, the shutdown. And we also know that Westbrook, after the performance you've described, Michael, is going to be practically untradeable. What do they do to retool here? Do you have any, um, you know, theories? I saw John Hollinger of the Athletic float the idea that. You know, very delicately that you know, Harden's only got a couple of years left on his contract. He would have obviously a lot of value on the market. You've got to wonder if you can kind of retool a contender around him in time. Does that maybe lead them to uh, explore at least the idea or think about the idea of trading James Harden? Now, of course, Houston has a different take on all of this. Harden told us, quote, we're one piece away, which I don't know, depending on which, you know, a list superstar that would be. Maybe you are one piece away. But is that it, is that piece Chris Paul? <laughs> right? Yeah, or Giannis. I mean, or Luca. I mean, somebody, somebody important. If it's going to be one piece, I would say. But uh, I guess, how would you resolve this if you were Tillman? I mean, what, what's your next step here?
1: If I was Tillman, uh, thanks for putting me in his shoes. Um, I I I think that the James Harden trade talk is very interesting because, you know, before, you know, heading into Game 7 of the first round, I was having a conversation with uh, my editor about, you know, if the Rockets lose this, I want to write a piece about how that was James Harden's last game in a Rockets uniform. Wow! And I, I just think that it would make, you know, contextually speaking, you know, they won that game and they move on and et cetera, et cetera. And, you, you know, you can lean on uh, the Daniel House thing, and you can, you have excuses that are built in where you're not as desperate, or you're not in that same position. But like, if you're the Rockets, and you have this team, and you can't move Westbrook, and there's, there's aging pieces, and you don't have any draft picks, and um, you're just built around Harden, like the whole, the the the, the idea of just rolling it back um, with Harden just doesn't, Make a lot of sense to me. Well, Michael, so I
3: I joked earlier you picked the Rocket 17 years in a row to win the title. That window is officially closed now, right? I mean, I think that to me, as soon as they traded for Westbrook, it was closed, and I hate being right about that because it it played out in so painful fashion for them, but it went uh exactly how I expected because I think I've been one of his biggest skeptics, and um. So I feel validated on that one, but I think every year that passes, they only get further away from that 2018 conference finals, which was obviously the peak of their run. Um, I don't see any way they can come back and be in the title contender conversation next year, like no matter what they do. Um, And so I think from that standpoint, that's where the the hardened trade starts to come into, right? Because it's like, what are you really playing for? I don't feel like they're playing for the same thing in 2021 that they were in 2019 even.
1: That's fair. I think that if you're the Rockets and you want to roll it back now, um, you know, tinkering around the margins is going to be very difficult. Uh, But what you have to lean on, I suppose, is hey, we still have Harden. We. Like, we will need uh, an exceptional, exceptional amount of luck to actually win the title with the pieces that we do have. But there are some things that we like that we saw throughout the regular season before the shutdown, and everything was really weird, and Westbrook suffered that injury, and Daniel House did what he did. And I think that they could they could talk themselves into rolling it back and uh, being a title contender. And you could you could quibble whether or not that would be accurate or not. Um, I do think like trading, him, I, I just think like after what we saw in that series against the Lakers, like Harden is not the problem. And, you know, he played like he played well, man, like his numbers were really good.
3: Uh, yeah, I don't know he if was, he's i I'm not sure he's the problem, but the way they've got it set up where so much is on his shoulders, it also doesn't necessarily feel like he's the answer. And I think that they've catered so thoroughly to him over the last five or six years, making him the franchise guy, giving him the supermax, building the whole offense around him, scheming the free throws and threes thing, you know, getting every single role player to make sure that he fits with Harden and all of it. I mean, he's one of the most empowered players in the league. It's either him or LeBron, I think, in terms of like what his role is with that franchise. And I wonder if some of that kind of came home to roost in this series because he was slowed and and limited by the Lakers traps and that pretty much just like shut them down right off the bat they didn't have a lot of uh, quality backup options or alternative scenarios it seemed like the Lakers had figured them out so yeah
1: so but like we know D'Antoni's gone right so I guess like if you're the Rockets and you want to be super optimistic you bring in a coach and you know you bring in a coach who has a different offensive philosophy and you completely switch up how you want to utilize James Harden in a way that we haven't seen and, in my opinion, is feasible, Um, you know, playing him off the ball a a ton more than you do during the regular season and not wearing him out and uh, maybe load managing James Harden during the regular season, uh, just like you did Russell Westbrook, not that that did any real good and he eventually suffered an injury that cost him the season, But, you know, Russell Westbrook didn't play in any back to backs throughout the regular season. Um, Maybe you do that with Harden going forward and you just change your approach because now he's going to be 31 years old and he's still super effective. But I feel like uh, he's, you know, I I don't feel like I know he's still an MVP candidate. He's still this guy who can average, you know, 34, 35 a night. Uh, So. I don't know. I think that's it's really it's a really tricky situation and to be honest, I went through and I looked at all the possible teams that would be interested in trading for James Harden and have the pieces that could actually make a, a trade happen and it's like the list is not long realistically.
3: Um Well, let's get a, let's get to that in one second. So, I think okay. that they've got a couple problems. First of all, Harden is not quite good enough and he doesn't have nearly enough help, right? So uh, you compare it to where they were a couple of years ago, expectations have definitely changed. And we have no idea what the owner is thinking because he greenlit the Russell Westbrook trade, right? So he's just out there. Let's be risky. You know, let's just roll the dice and see what happens was basically his strategy on that trade. And it completely blew up in his face. You know, Sometimes have you heard that whole idea of like oh let's have a let's have a baby to save the marriage right like there's some problems between the couple but if we just have a child everything will be fine right and then once you have the child it turns out that doesn't save anything it actually makes everything worse have you heard about this
1: have I heard about this? I have. Uh, is Russell Westbrook the baby in this scenario?
3: A thousand percent Russell Westbrook is the baby. <laughs> and everything has gotten worse. And that's part of the problem is that there's not going to be any way to improve Harden's supporting cast when you're paying him 40 plus million dollars. And in de- to defend him, he not only had the quad injury, which you said he was not 100% on, he was kind of playing through the injury. He also had COVID and that cost him three weeks of training, he said, um, as uh-huh. he dealt with that. So that's no small factor. But look, he didn't even have to get guarded. He was you know, just turning the ball over constantly. It was all the same problems that we've seen in previous um, playoff runs, just only worse, right? And it's only going to get worse um, the further he gets away from his athletic prime. And he has no ability to mentally adjust. Like We just have not seen him be able to like evolve his game in a major way to find other ways to contribute. He just hasn't been able to do it. He only really knows one way to play. And that's a big time problem. And I also think when you're trying to manage your relationship with Harden and keep him happy, he's gonna get sick of this watching Westbrook do Westbrook things, just like he got sick of listening to Chris Paul in the second year, right? And so that that's why it starts to go like, what's the end game here? If you just have to wind up, you know, giving away Westbrook in a trade and, and attaching tons of picks to do it because Harden's upset twelve months from now, which seems like a pretty logical end end game for that. Or you could try to get out in front of it, manufacture whatever assets you can in a hardened trade, whether it's a whole bunch of future first round picks to kind of replenish the stockpile, whether it's a couple of, you know, uh, not star level guys, but just at least, uh, you know, starting caliber players to kind of buy yourself some time, um, you know, sort of like what, uh, you know, what Sam Presti tried to get from uh, a Paul George trade. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think that if I was Houston, I would at least be thinking about a Harden trade. But you think that it's not possible based on which teams are out there?
1: I think it's 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 really, really tricky because the type of package that you need to get in return, first of all, like not a lot of teams out there have the contracts. Not a lot of teams out there have the assets. Not a lot of teams out there would be willing to fork over the contracts slash the assets um, for a guy who's 31, who's going to be a free agent before you know it. And so you don't trade for James Harden, I don't think, unless you want to win a championship or in position to win a championship. And there's just very few teams that could do something like that. Like if I were the, like a team like the Knicks, it's like, uh, you know, you trade for James Harden. Great. Um, you maybe make the playoffs. Maybe you don't. Uh, and then he walks like it's just like there's just not a lot of teams like you need to be very close to the championship already to get him. But then at the same time, he kind of uh, like changes your whole style of play in a way that is just it's
3: really difficult to kind of fit him in and envision it. But Ben, I do have. Well, um, what about what about the Chicago Bulls? Because you've got you've got Zach Levine's contract, you've got Thaddeus Young's contract, you've got a couple of okay. young guys like Wendell Carter, Kobe White, maybe Lowry. You could maybe pick two or three of those, and then you uh-huh. could just demand a multiple first round picks, and the Bulls would sell this as, hey, you know, we're going to have a, a cleaner slate. You don't have to worry about the you know terrible ankle weight of Russell Westbrook anymore. You're going to come and be in a big market. Uh, you know, marketable organization, large fan base. (laughs) um, And, you know, we can slowly put the pieces together around you and you'll be in uh, an easier conference, a better chance to potentially make deep playoff runs. And, you know, we won't be quite as over leveraged on you as Houston was, but it's still going to be your show and you get to be the face of it. Um, I I imagine Adidas and his marketing partners would be pretty happy with the Chicago landing spot. What about that?
1: I mean, if you're James Harden, are you excited about this from a basketball perspective? You have no—what is the path to title contention before your prime is over? Like, the clock is ticking.
3: Well, I think it's—I mean, honestly, being free of Westbrook drastically (laughs) increases his title chances. I think it's, like, that level of bad. Like, there is just no way he is going to drag Westbrook over the finish line. To me, the Houston thing is done. There's no way they could trade Westbrook without sacrificing tons and tons of assets to do it. He's that negative of an asset. His contract is that bad. I think that they've reached the end of the road, so they can either figure that out in a year and try to run it back with a new coach and hope that that works and wind up being frustrated next year. Um, or they can uh, you know, get out in front of it, or he can get out in front of it and just say, hey, I've run this as long as I can run it. Now, he seems very comfortable and happy in Houston. He was not making any negative comments whatsoever coming out of the series. So I don't imagine he's going to be the one pushing for it. But I do think like big picture, if you're Houston, you have to ask these questions like, where are we going? Has our window shut? And I could understand why they would want to delay that decision one year and talk themselves uh, into it, but I think they're kidding themselves.
1: Can I? Okay, I have a Galaxy Brain fake trade that I've debated internally on whether or not I should share it in public. Please do um, it. That, that just means but yes. I'm just, <laughs> you
3: should definitely share it.
1: <laughs> okay, so it's it, there's multiple transactions here, but follow. Please follow along. It's not that complicated, but please follow along. Okay, so first transaction: uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder trade Chris Paul. And three first-round picks, and you can just look through their glut of their treasure chest of uh, assets, and you can kind of, whatever, pick whichever ones you think are most desirable. So they trade Chris Paul, Chris Paul's contract, and uh, three first-round picks, maybe four, to the Philadelphia 76ers for Joel Embiid. And then the Rockets trade James Harden back to the Oklahoma City Thunder. Wow, it's a homecoming. For Stephen Adams, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Darius Baisley, and their own 2024 first-round pick, which they had to give up with the Westbrook trade. So what you have here is the Oklahoma City Thunder have turned, you know, I guess Paul George and Russell Westbrook into James Harden and Joel Embiid. They are a title contender. The Rockets have Westbrook which sucks but there's nothing you can do about it the Rockets have but gotten they, screwed is what's
3: happened Michael that's not nearly the, enough for James no no, Come no, no,
1: on. No, 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 no 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 the Rockets have Westbrook still but they add a blue chip prospect in Shea Gilgis Alexander like really really great young player one of the the, the most intriguing young players in the league um and they have, you know, maybe you ask for more trade assets in a deal like this, but I, I, I kind of doubt that Oklahoma City would budge, but you get at least your own pick back. Darius Basley is an interesting young player. Um, I think that, that is, and, and like, I should also like to say to boot, like if you're Houston, all of a sudden, you know, you're going to be bad next year, most likely. So, you know, you have your own pick, um, and I believe they they have their own pick, and I just like think that you know in a situation where you need to kind of rebuild, being bad will be good for them. Um, so I just think that this is an okay haul for the Rockets. I don't think like going around and looking around at the landscape that there's anything like dramatically better that they could get. And I also just want to quickly address like the Sixers and all of this because that's like a big. Uh, I, I think that some Sixers fans would be a little upset with this, but like, if you're Philly, you get CP, um, who is, uh, an adult, uh, in that locker room, which they have not had. Um, you can suddenly play Horford at the five and he just looks a million times better than he did this season. Uh, Simmons gets to be a point forward, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, do some things that, uh, it, on a team that does not have Joel Embiid anymore, that kind of unlocks what makes him very special. And I think the Philadelphia 76ers all of a sudden look like a more complete, uh, natural basketball team as well. So maybe you are poo pooing this idea and it is a little complicated maybe, but I just wanted to get Harden and Joel Embiid on the same team. Cause I think that that would be super fascinating.
3: Well, I think that, um, honestly, I think Houston says no. I think Philly says no. I think the Thunder <laughs> and the in the Oklahoma City Chamber of Commerce both say a resounding yes to this strategy. But I, I really want to thank that mental exercise and thank you for doing it because it did remind me that Philly might be one of the teams dumb enough to trade for Westbrook. Like I hadn't really considered them as a possible Westbrook landing spot. I mean, maybe they get so sick of staring at the Tobias Harris contract or the Al Horford contract. That they can find a way to, uh, you know, triple down on bad s- salary and and take on Westbrook and see what he could do. Who knows? Um, I, I do think um, that you know, if you're Harden, I I think you probably want almost similar to what happened with the original trade to Houston, where you want to go to a landing spot that's relatively clear. You're not so worried about are they competing in year one. You're almost following the LeBron and the Lakers model where you get to the spot. Uh, Maybe it takes a gap year to kind of clean things up, and then now you're ready to go forward with the next chapter of your career. I mean, it's very easy to just plug and play these superstars. And I actually think Giannis is in a similarly tough situation, where when you try to imagine him or envision him on different teams, say if he were to demand a trade, which he has said he wouldn't. it's just difficult to find a spot where, like, how cleanly does he fit? Is the star that's already there willing to kind of cede the spotlight to him? Is he willing to cede the spotlight? If you go down the list of teams, it's it's pretty short in terms of, okay, what actually would make sense and um, you know, who can kind of facilitate a, a Giannis incoming move. So I guess uh, maybe we'll get some greater clarity as the summer unfolds on some of these guys. I don't expect Harden to be traded. Just to be clear, but if I was Houston, I would be thinking about it um, because I, I think it, it's time to have some tough, hard conversations. Where you know this five, six, seven year run has gone, and they've tried everything. That's that's the main thing to me. I mean, they, they tried the super small ball thing. They traded Capella. They they went through the whole Dwight Howard era. I mean, they uh-huh. they've cycled and cycled and cycled and cycled, and, cycled and uh, they they haven't made the progress. And I, I think that's a, a red flag.
1: If I just simplified my deal um, to uh, Harden for Embiid, what would you think?
3: Well, I don't think Houston would want to go there because um, I think Embiid's value is significantly less relative to his perception right now. And I'm not sure that they would want to go from... uh, you know, the the all-in on small ball to the, like, hey, we're going to take the biggest, slowest center in the league, and, like, let's let's build around him, and that would be pretty a radical change. I can imagine Westbrook running into Embiid on his way to the rim, just, like, physically bouncing off of him like a brick wall a couple times per game. That would be super (laughs) fun to watch.
1: Man, like, Westbrook just ruins all of the hypotheticals, because, like, He's the baby. Right. I told you,
3: He's. he is the baby. <laughs> <laughs> the mer- There's irreconcilable differences in Houston right now. You cannot fix this thing. It's rough. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip.
2: Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it and travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel, it's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
0: This Father's Day, shop at the Home Depot to find the perfect gift to help Dad be everything he can be.
2: Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.
0: Oh, it's such a clutch pickup, Dave. <laughs> I know, right? I was worried we'd bring back the same team. Oh, no, I meant those blackout motorized shades. MVP of the room. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. he scored. Go to blinds.com for up to 45% off and a 100% satisfaction
1: guarantee. Go right now for up to 45% off at blinds.com. blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.
3: Um all right, we've uh, we've belabored this point enough. Let's let's move on real quick. Now I mentioned Giannis. there've been some developments uh, this week on the Bucks front. Everybody got really excited over the weekend because he unfollowed everyone besides his direct family members on Instagram. That includes all of his Bucks teammates and basically everyone else. That is a a strange move um, that I'm sure caught a lot of people by surprise. He also met with Bucks ownership. It sounded like in a multi-hour meeting, according to Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN.com. It sounds like they talked about uh, ownership's commitment to trying to win. I believe they committed to paying the luxury tax and explored possible options to um, uh, to improve the roster and everything else. You know, Josh B. sent in a uh, an email. Michael, he wanted to know. Uh, what are your thoughts on getting Chris Paul to Milwaukee in a return for a package that includes Eric Bledsoe? I am sick of watching Bledsoe fail to make an impact in playoff games, and Bud's lack of ability to make adjustment renders this team so easy to stop when Bledsoe is on the court with Giannis. As much as I believe in Giannis and Middleton, Giannis needs to be surrounded by shooters, and adding Chris Paul to aid in orchestrating a smooth-flowing offense would really, really help. The Bucks could utilize him as a bucket getter in, cl- in clutch time to alleviate pressure on Middleton um, because Giannis does not seem ready with his new moves in crunch time. Chris Paul is savvy and could help cultivate a nice team chemistry with Giannis and Middleton as they grow uh, with the game. And he says, bonus, I live in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and it's absolutely beautiful with the bluff surrounding the Mississippi River and a dense population of bald eagles. So you guys should make a visit. What a pitch. What a pitch from our guy, Josh B. He knows how to which buttons to push to get me excited, Michael. I just talk about the birds. Um, you mentioned the Chris Paul idea trading earlier to Philadelphia. And I think a lot of people came right out of the gate strong with, oh, Chris Paul is going to be the solution for the Milwaukee Bucks. What do you make of that talk, CP3 to Milwaukee? Is it possible? Would it help? Would it get them over the hump? Does it sound better on paper than it would in practice? What do you think?
1: I mean, I I love it theoretically. I don't know if Oklahoma City is super – I mean, we know that they kind of want to head in the opposite direction, um, I would presume, based on uh, what happened with Billy Donovan. But um, I don't know if this is the best package they could get, like – Eric Bledsoe. um, uh, I guess like, you know, there's some contract filler in there for sure. Like Irsan Ilyasova, do they get Dante DiVincenzo or a first round pick that's not, you know, a very high first round pick. Um, So I think that it's, I don't know if it's like that feasible, but then also at the same time, I'm kind of looking around and I'm like, how is Oklahoma City going to get anything as close to a late first-round pick for Chris Paul, given how much money he's owed and his contract situation, uh, and well, his age, I should yeah, say? I think if you're a
3: Milwaukee, you can't be caught up on the Chris Paul contract, because the amount of money you're going to pay him, potentially, um, is going to be nothing compared to what happens the amount of money you're going to lose if Giannis leaves, right? So you're under the gun. You have to make Giannis happy. So if... You know, this conversation is taking place. You need to be thinking about it only on a basketball terms. You cannot be worried about, oh, the finances or what's Chris's contract going to look like in two years or any of that stuff. That's how you shoot yourself in the foot. That's how you lose Giannis. Now, in terms of what Chris's trade value is i still think it's a little bit higher than what other people think. I mean, he was awesome this season to me. He's still got at least one more really good year in him. It seems like all these teams now are planning in basically like one or two year cycles, you know, everybody's living for today, living in the moment, Michael, you know, they're not doing that long-term process planning. Like we heard five years ago. Um, it seems like there should be some teams interested in, in grabbing him. The other factor to consider is the financial situation around the Oklahoma city ownership group. Um, There have been some reports or at least whispers that they're interested in cutting money and and maybe retooling. Obviously, they parted ways with Billy Donovan, did not give him a new contract. It sounded like the vision for rebuilding was was front and center there. Um, If that makes Chris Paul available, I think if you're Milwaukee... I don't think that's going to solve everything. I agree with pretty much everything Josh said in terms of the potential positive impacts. Uh, Of course, you've got to remember Chris Paul is not a guy who's who's carried teams through deep playoff runs. His fit with Giannis would be, I think, tricky. At some point, Giannis is going to probably have to sacrifice a decent amount of touches to make it work with Chris Paul. Um, And that could be, you know, maybe it works on a short-term solution and maybe you can make it work for a year or two. Similar to Chris Paul and James Harden in Houston, but obviously that's not going to be a, a five or six or a seven year plan. But I guess at this point the Bucks don't really have the um, you know the luxury of of long term thinking. They're under the gun, and so maybe mm-hmm. I'm talking myself into it. I don't know. I'm not. I don't have a better solution for fixing this roster. And I, I also think the idea that they didn't seriously consider moving on from Coach Bud is a red flag here too. You know, if I'm Giannis and I'm going to say. <laughs> No, seriously, if I'm Giannis, I want action from the organization after that series, right? It wasn't good enough. They did not get it done. They really needed to have Brogdon. Ownership needs to admit fault on the Brogdon trade and step up and say, yeah, we cheaped out last summer. We're going to step up and and do a little bit more going forward. If you don't fire the coach or you don't make any move there after he gets completely worked in the playoffs, if you're Giannis, yeah, I'm just deleting Instagram. I'm not even just unfollowing everyone. I don't want to be on social media, taking all the heat when my team loses because my ownership group doesn't have my back, right? So they have to make some sort of a pledge here, some sort of a show of, of good faith, and I think that's where a Chris Paul trade could come in.
1: I think from a basketball perspective, Chris Paul is just beyond perfect here. Like the number one criticism that we have of Milwaukee is their late game offense because Giannis does not have uh any real ability to threaten the defense from the mid-range and create his own shot and get where he wants to go, um, Chris Paul is maybe still the best player in the league at this, or he's one of you know. Uh, you know his his performance in the cr- in in crunch time all season long was stupendous. Uh, his field goal percentage from the mid-range is, I think was I think was best in the league this season at a pretty high volume still gets to that right elbow still pulls up regardless of what the defender wants to do um still drills it at a really high clip so just from like a fit perspective I think if they were to get Chris Paul then I mean they would be my title favorite instantly wow for sure like I would that would do, I mean it, what do you think about that like if you have Chris Paul And your number one concern with a team that was on a seventy win pace is, you know, their late game offense and how it can bog down, and how putting the ball in Giannis's hands is is trouble. All of a sudden, if you have CP and you're running these pick and rolls with CP and Giannis and Chris Middleton dotting the three point line and two other spacers, like how do you defend that? I don't like. We're gonna. You would see a a part of Giannis in terms of just his effectiveness as a role man, which has already been uh, written about ad nauseum, but like having the, maybe the best pick and roll playmaker in NBA history or one of, um, kind of setting him up, like that is, that is devastating. Like that is, that is an offense that I don't know how you, how you guard that.
3: Bigger upgrade. Eric Bledsoe to Chris Paul or Harrison Barnes to Kevin Durant? Uh, contextually speaking, it's really no question for me. It's Eric Bledsoe to Chris Paul. And that's not good, Michael, because I think I compared uh, Harrison Barnes to Kevin Durant as going from a tricycle to a Ferrari. Um, If you're making a bigger leap than that, um, just because Eric Bledsoe has been that rough during the playoffs, I actually think um, regardless of whether you trade Eric Bledsoe in a Chris Paul deal... I, I do think that's a really important button that Milwaukee needs to push. I think that they're caught up in some baggage from these last couple of years for sure. They, they do need to, not like a new book, but they need a new page here, a new chapter heading into next season. And I think it would just be better for everyone if he wasn't there. I know he's got a lot of you know valuable defensive contributions, but he was so wild and so erratic um, in the playoffs. It's been three years in a row where they've gotten what ba- basically nothing though, out man? of him. No, I'm saying it's addition by subtraction, right? Like if you can't okay. toss him into a Chris Paul trade, I just think it's like, hey, we're cleaning out and we're going to try something else here and we're just going to do something a little bit different. Um, again, in part because you have to answer to Giannis and in part because you need to just shake things up. It, it did not end well for Milwaukee. Their vibe was totally off down in Disney World. The only person who seemed somewhat happy uh, was Brooke Lopez. And I believe that's because he stayed at Disney World after they were eliminated. So he could go ride the rides. I don't know if you saw those pictures floating around, Michael, just an incredible flex from him. Um, so I just think it's time for, for something different. And the Chris Paul thing would be the dream scenario. But your backup is, hey, let's just not deal with Bledsoe anymore. It's time to uh, it's time to talk ourselves out of that one. You're probably not getting much back. It could get tricky because his contract is not great. Um, but uh, you know, it, it's time to push that button. All right, Michael, we've buried what I think you believe is the lead for long enough. You, you texted me over the weekend and said you wanted to do an entire episode about an Eastern <laughs> Conference Finals preview. I think that was a proactive move by you to get away from all the Lakers and Rockets talk, so I, I credit you. You did not fool me, but you almost got me. Um, needless to say, tomorrow, Tuesday, the Miami Heat— and the Boston Celtics will be in the Eastern Conference Finals you've got two franchises that have consistently been powers here over the, over the last 10 years now Miami's fallen off a little bit after LeBron's departure um, but they had some very memorable back and forth everyone remembers the tra- the trash talk between uh, Pat Riley and Danny Ainge and you know LeBron's huge game up in in Boston uh, the game 6 performance um, the Celtics had their share of victories as well kind of during Rondo's heyday um, I'm not saying this is like a renewed rivalry, but maybe uh, a revisited rivalry might be the way to put it. Um, I'm curious, just off the top, when you're preparing for this series, who do you view as the number one X-Factor um, either way? To me, it's it's Kemba Walker. Um,
1: when he plays well, Boston is almost unbeatable. And when he struggles, uh, you know, they... Are beatable, <laughs> so I look at Kemba and I'm like, you know, throughout the playoffs, including
3: he scared in that Raptors, you Game Six and Game Seven, didn't he? He had you pretty nervous. Yeah.
1: But the thing about him is, like, he's made the he's made the leap in terms of um, being a really threatening pull up three point shooter. And the Toronto Raptors were like, we're having absolutely none of that, and we saw what you did against. Um, the Philadelphia 76ers and even though his percentages weren't good his volume his volume was there and a lot of those shots could have easily fallen so they took away that shot and Kemba like I thought he showed specifically from the mid-range where he's just been completely lights out um, just a lot of like toughness offensively and when he hits those shots when he gets into space and he he gets to his step back from the elbow as he did repeatedly against Pascal and OG Ananobi. It's just real difficult to guard this dude. And so I just keep coming back to the the threat of him in a pick-and-roll action, whether there's one screener or two, is one of the more potent actions that the NBA has right now, statistically. And if you can get Kemba going from behind the three-point line in this series— Because the Miami Heat do not have a Kyle Lowry. Um, They do not have a Fred Van Vliet, who is a tremendous. I just think like the the downgrade in terms of individual defenders uh, could see a Kemba explosion. Um, And he's just like, man, when he is on, Boston is exceptional.
3: It's a great pick. I think I'm actually with you on that one. But let's dig a little bit more into what happens when he's off, Michael. I mean, talk to me about Game 6 and Game 7. That was pretty dicey moments for the Boston Celtics. They were able to survive and pull it out um, in Game 7. I think the biggest plays, and I'm sure you want to call them winning plays with the hashtag, would be a Marcus Smart block and a Jason Tatum offensive rebound. So this was not like hero ball like Kemba back at UConn or, or Jason Tatum channeling Kobe. I mean, they, they really ground that game seven victory out and I think they had to because I mean Kemba's offense was not reliable Um, you're right to point out that Toronto's got some good defensive matchups for him is if you're a Miami would you be looking at that as a possible thing to exploit like what's your defensive approach on Kemba if you feel like you can kind of take him out a little bit and bring Boston's offense down to earth like how would you do that I think that
1: Toronto is uniquely built to, to, you know, they employed a box and one on Kemba, which really tells you where Nick Nurse's head was at on a team that has Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Like, he wanted to take Kemba out of the equation, and they did a really good job of doing that. And I don't think, in terms of personnel, there's, like, maybe Miami, you know, Miami's not, like, a, a bad defensive team by any stretch, but the way Toronto... I mean, Toronto just has, like, guys that are... Like, the fact that none of their players were on the all-defensive team is is criminal. They have Pascal, they have OG, they have Van Fleet, they have Lowry, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, So I think that they were... It was a unique matchup, and as much as Kemba struggled, he still, like, got to his spots. He still set up Tice repeatedly. Um, He was still, like, the engine of the offense who would initiate just about every possession, with Tatum. So, especially in crunch time. So like I don't know. I, I just think that that series was such a heavyweight battle and stylistically and strategically Toronto really did a, an excellent job of taking Kemba out, but I'm looking at Miami's roster and I'm looking at, you know, how they like to defend um, and I just don't see that same level of um, ability because you have... Like, when I look at Toronto and I look at the pieces that they have, they can afford to box in one on Kemba because they have other pieces who can really make Tatum work, really make Jalen work, etc. Um, the Heat really don't have that. Like, you can... If Tatum is iso on Duncan Robinson or Goran Dragic or whoever, like he's going to get his and eat. So it's just, it's, it's a completely different matchup. Playoffs are about matchups. And, um, I think that Kemba is going to really feast in this series.
3: Yeah. Look, if he doesn't, that's going to be a big time problem, but I do think that, you know, Boston holds major matchup advantages across, um, you know, across the starting lineup and they should win this series. Um, if you had to pick either Jason Tatum or Jimmy Butler to win a series right now, if you were basically drafting, you know, between those two guys to, you know, heading into this series, who do you pick and why? Do you want to guess my answer? Well, I'm pretty sure it's going to be Jason Tatum, but I want to hear you explain (laughs) it because I think there's a pretty strong case for Jimmy Butler, isn't there?
1: No, for sure. I love Jimmy, one of my favorite players. Um, Jason Tatum is my answer, you're correct. When I look at it, like, this isn't super obvious, but Jimmy, like, what does Jimmy do better than Jason Tatum is how I guess I would pose it to you
3: well he gets to the basket a lot better I mean he's he's definitely more physical on the ball free throw line um I trust the ball in his hands in late game moments slightly more um in terms of creating a shot and getting to his spot um and those things are really really important I mean I think there's a chance that Miami winds up losing this series but we look back and say Butler was the best player um I don't think that that's possible
1: (laughs) like i don't don't, if miami loses i I don't think that there's a scenario where jimmy's looked at as the best player um when i look at tatum like i kind of disagree with you a little bit about his ability to get the shots that he wants
3: in late game situations and this guy's settling for an awful lot of contested twos over hands that are barely making the rim man i mean there you gotta admit i mean he's got he's got some some fat to cut out of his diet um, Sure,
1: I think that these are shots that great players take and make in in the postseason, particularly against defenses that are as great as Toronto's was.
3: But yeah, I just like, like to see him make. Tell a me, few. It, that's all.
1: Okay, he shot thirty nine percent
3: on these <laughs> shots, but. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just saying I saw a Celtics executive watching some of Tatum's shots and he was going through agony at some of the decisions. All right. So like even the diehard, the greenest of the green, I think can admit that Tatum doesn't, he maybe trusts himself just a little too much. And you know, he's got a little bit too much faith in some of those low percentage shots.
1: No, for sure. He, But I, I think that when you look at like, when is the last time Jimmy Butler hit a step back three? Like, that's another, just, it opens up just a different realm of why Tatum is so excellent. And Tatum as a spot-up three-point shooter is deadly. Tatum as, I mean, I would say that, honestly, they are, like, I don't know if I want to say that they're equal playmakers or if that they have equal vision, but I think Tatum has just made leaps and bounds in that regard. And... It's like I do. uh, You were saying, like, you trust Jimmy more in late game spots. Like, I really trust Jimmy Butler in late game spots. I think his ability to draw fouls, um, his ability to make the right read and be super unselfish, where he doesn't necessarily take those shots that you were criticizing Tatum for taking. And instead, you know, he'll run a quick dribble handoff with Goran Dragic or something or dribble into um, a situation where he can set up a teammate, uh, real quick. <clears throat> so I think like from that perspective, Jimmy is, I don't know if I'd give him the, sl- the, the edge there, but I think he's super competent. And I, and like, again, I know I'm sounding like I'm rambling a little bit because I probably am, but I think if we're, I, th- I think that this is a splitting of the hairs, splitting hairs type of question. And, you can't really go wrong. I'm just personally siding with Tatum, particularly after everything I saw from him in that Game Seven. Uh,
3: the defensive discipline and uh, you know buy-in, play to play to play into the team concept for Tatum is a is a clear advantage to me. Um, I think that also I'm a little bit worried about uh, Jimmy's energy and his his body. I think there was times in that second round series, even though it was a short series. Where He started to fade a little bit too much for my liking. I don't know if it was fatigue. Um, You know, he he is, I think he turned 31 today, actually. So happy birthday to him. Um, Not that he's old, but that there's going to be some young wings who are really pushing, um, you know, this Miami team during this series. Is he able to maintain that same energy level we saw when he was, you know, sniping down the stretch of game one against Milwaukee, when he was taking over down the stretch of game three against Milwaukee? I want to see that. I just feel like one of Tatum's biggest strengths is that, hey, maybe he's not absolutely excellent every single moment on the court but he's never like wasting time out there right he's always doing very helpful stuff and um you know and and he's he just makes very few mistakes just like he's that kind of symbolic of the entire celtics frankly like they just don't mess up very much they don't shoot themselves in the foot um and there's just like an overall baseline of efficiency there where um you know he's going to keep your your floor pretty high so you know i'm going back and forth on this one i think i would probably i would probably lean tatum slightly But I think that that's sort of the matchup. Whoever comes out of this one getting crowned, I do feel like is going to be pretty decisive. Like, if if Jimmy's not the best player in the series, it's going to be hard for them to win. Could I see a scenario where he winds up like as this gallant guy who's got, you know, 38 a game and it just wasn't enough to get over Boston? I guess I could see that happening. Um, But uh, ultimately, I guess I'm going to side with Tatum as much as it pains me to say that.
1: I'm I'm very proud of you for coming to this conclusion. And before we move on, real quick, like I'm one of the things I'm really fascinated about um, with this series is like we saw a little bit during the regular season of 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 Bam defending Jalen from the start, and I just wonder who Jimmy's going to cover and spend the majority of his minutes on because. You know, if he's just like, I am guarding Jason Tatum this entire series, we are not switching. I am fighting through screens and I'm going to just bully this dude, then I think it'll be just. I mean, I, that's kind of what I'm rooting for personally, because just like we don't see that very often where two superstars kind of go at each other like that. But I do wonder just who's going to guard Tatum, who's going to guard Jalen. And that's just a fascinating. Wrinkle to keep an eye yeah, out. Yeah,
3: and I and I just worry if they do do that. I feel like Tatum's going to be able to outlast him a little bit, right? Like I think I could see it. Just like Jimmy's able to lock him up for a couple of games early, but like does does he can can he sustain that energy over the course of a full series if the series goes deep? I think that's the question. I would love to see that too, um, but then that would open things up for Walker if if that's their approach and and maybe that's uh, you know a, a gamble or a trade off they're willing to make. Who would you rather have as your coach to start a franchise? Because I think that both these guys are sort of beloved by their own team's fan bases and almost like cult-like figures, Brad Stevens or Eric Spolstra. Um, You're not going to pick the Celtics for every single one of these questions, are you, Michael? Can I just, I I just want to say this is a a tie. Can I do that, please? All right, I'm going to let you do it because it's it's a cop-out because you were going to pick Brad, so I'll take it. (laughs)
1: Um, I think that, yeah, I love Brad Stevens. I love his temperament. Um, I love the fact that he gets guys, he maximizes guys on the defensive end. And I mean, if you just watch like Grant Williams in that spot at the end of that game where he had to be on the floor and he was not like defensively, he was just so disciplined and that go that like that is because of an entire season of a coaching staff that just preaches stuff like that. So um Brad Stevens is excellent, uh, like one of the best. I, I feel like a lot of the criticism that he's ever received in his career is a little unfair, um, to be honest. And we don't have to go too deep into that. Um, you know, he is human and he makes mistakes, but like the stuff about him being incapable of of coaching superstars and and all that, I thought was a little silly. Um, Spo is. Maybe my favorite coach uh, in the league. I just I think that he is so bold. I think he emboldens his players and empowers them in a way that uh, very few coaches do. He's so secure in his position um, with the Miami Heat, where he he'll just take risks and chances that other coaches won't, and they don't always pay off, but a lot of times they do. And when they do, you get Duncan Robinson, you get. Bam Adebayo blossoming into an all-star because you put the ball in his hands and had him initiate offense from the elbow and um, had him defend point guards from the jump and had him uh, just be this so much more than um, what a lot of talent evaluators thought he could be at the NBA level. So, like, Spo gets a lot of credit for that and he deserves it. Um, And, yeah, like, the fact that this team is just so, like the the sum, I always get this saying wrong, so correct me, but the sum is greater than the individual parts. Is that how you say that? The whole is greater <laughs> than the sum <laughs> of the parts. Great. Awesome. Everyone knows what I'm trying to say. Um, you could also say that's five what,
3: fingers make a fist. That's a good way to uh, to bring that. Okay, in great.
1: Then we'll do the five fingers make a fist. That's, that's just kind of the identity of the Miami Heat to me. Um, and, you know, He's gonna be there for the next what, like twenty years. Like I can't imagine a scenario where he's let go, which is just so impressive. Given you know what we see around the NBA with head coaches, like he is so respected, he is so integral to their identity and their culture. And yeah, I mean, to be honest, I'm probably leaning Spolster here. And wow, I, and it all just, right, it pains me. it it pains me a lot because I love Brad, um, but. Spo is special. And I think the really funny thing is like, you know, those questions that were popping up, um, I forget who, who was asking them. Actually, I I don't forget, but I don't want to name them, um, about like, would you trade a top 15 player and all-star for Brad Stevens? And that's that sort of thing, which was always a little silly, but like, I think that with Spo. I honestly think he, his value is, is like he's consistently done it to the point and had success in the playoffs to the point where that is a legitimate question to me. Um, he is just so valuable, uh, such a valuable NBA figure.
3: Well, here's my Spo take. I'm also going to take Spo. I think that USA Basketball should have made him the successor to Coach K. I think that he would have gotten more and better contributions from last year's FIBA World Cup team than Greg Popovich did and i know that's sort of disrespectful to a legend and as the rap of the game said that's just something that i don't do but in this situation when you're looking at how do you kind of throw together a team on the fly how do you um, you know squeeze the most uh, you know lemonade out of some lemons uh, and and take like second or third tier level guys on that usa basketball squad how do you build a culture quickly how do you hold guys accountable and and get them to buy in and play defense and um, if you don't have superstar-level players, like how do you get the uh, the offense from them? Like we thought that Popovich could do a lot of those things. I think Spo would have done it better. And again, you're mentioning his youth. I think he could be a USA Basketball head coach for 15, 20 years going forward. If I was them. Um, not that I'm shoving Popovich out the door and I, and I do appreciate this idea of like making sure that he got his crack at it. And I think that they've tried to do that with some of their coaching selections in the past of sort of rewarding legends and, and giving them, uh, you know, just sort of the, the icing on the cake of their careers, but USA basketball is in a tough spot right now. They're going to be coming back out of a pandemic potentially to play in the Olympics. It's going to require a lot of ingenuity and somebody with lots of energy and youth and the ability to connect to players. And some of those phrases that I just described do not describe Popovich. I would feel better about USA basketball for the the, um, the Tokyo Olympics with Spo as coach than Popovich as coach. No questions asked. How do you feel on that one?
1: Yeah, I think I would agree with that. I, th- I also think that uh, Spo would have taken Bam at bio instead of Miles Turner, which was probably the right call <laughs> given everything that transpired afterwards. Um, so yeah, no, I think I would go Spo. I thought that, um, you know, I think that like Brad Stevens is also a really good candidate for exactly what you're describing. And it kind of speaks to how difficult it is to, um, rank these two, uh, just their age, their, their temperament, their approach. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I their ability to squeeze the lemonade out of the lemons, um, so I think
3: that yeah, look, what we had enough Celtics su- on last year's team. Okay, we can pin that on you know what Marcus Smart, Kemba, all these guys, Tatum, Brown, they were all there, and and they still went out pretty early. I think seventh place, right? We don't need any more Celtics on on USA Basketball, Michael.
1: I know if Tatum wasn't hurt they would have just absolutely swept the medal round and 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 gone all the way and gotten the gold but you know tatum suffered an injury man what do you want from them it's okay
3: it's all All right i'm glad you're always willing to scapegoat something hey what are your (laughs) i asked you for two final questions here on the eastern conference finals preview what you got quick
1: okay so my question about the heat is this is a a pretty technical one but are we going to see their zone defense and i asked that because i was looking at some of the numbers and Miami led the NBA in possessions when they were in a zone this season. Uh, Funny enough, in the first two rounds, they did not play a single possession in zone, um, which is fascinating. And so are they going to go back to that? Or were they strictly using zone because of the lineups that they used that they've kind of couched uh, in the playoffs that they use in the regular season that they couched in the playoffs or what is going on here. And the fact that Boston didn't have the most success, I would say, offensively against Toronto's various zone coverages. I think that that is something to look out for. Um, my Celtics question is just pretty basic. Like, will Gordon Hayward matter? Is he going to come back? And if he does, and the Miami Heat, go super small as they've done with three guards and Iguodala at the four and Bam at the five or or some variation of that. Um, Are you, is Brad finally going to play the quote unquote, like the five best players on the team? No disrespect to Daniel Tice, but go small with Gordon and Marcus and Kemba and Tatum and Jalen.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think, well, so first of all, the update with Hayward is he's back in the bubble. He's kind of working his way back uh, from the injury he sustained in the first round. Do we have an idea on when the availability could take place?
1: No, I don't think so. I mean, I think that Brad said that um, he could return in the series, but there was no specifics beyond that.
3: Am I crazy to think that playing their five best players, quote unquote, is not better than just playing the lineup they've been rolling with? I feel like that group with Tice has just been awesome. Um, When he got into foul trouble um, late in that series against Toronto, that actually made me really nervous um on Boston's behalf when he was just you know countering uh Nick Nurse's super small ball approach with dunk after dunk after dunk I felt like he held up really well in that scenario I, I you know I kind of made this argument to you does does Hayward's injury wind up being addition by the subtraction for Boston because it just removes those lineup questions and you just know exactly who your five guys are and they roll forward together I felt like that group has played awesome together um throughout that second round series Is this introducing some complications from Boston's standpoint?
1: I don't think it's introducing any complications. I think when Hayward comes back, it'll be off the bench. I just think that, uh, you know, I look at the Shemi-Ojale minutes and the Grant Williams minutes and the fact that when Tice came off the floor. The reason you were so nervous is because Grant Williams was stepping on instead of someone like Gordon Hayward. So if you can, as Brad Stevens, um, if you can get Gordon to understand, which I think shouldn't be the hardest thing in the
3: world given how they played. Well, and given the, the time of his injury too, right? I mean, he gets it. Like you're you're being injected yeah. into a deep playoff run. I'm sure a guy like him is willing to kind of just sacrifice and play For whatever sure. small role at this point he need, is needed. Exactly. Really well put. So,
1: I don't necessarily think it's that much of an issue. And I don't think Gordon has this like super duper um, ego problem or that he's playing for a new contract or whatever it is. Uh, So, like, I just think adding him is, is big with his talent and everything that he brings to the table um, over someone like the Shemi Ojale minutes and just how it lets you spell some of the other guys, too, and have them play fewer minutes than they did in that series. Here's
3: my take, Michael. He's not going to matter. It's harsh and cold, but I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal. I think Boston's going to be— Celtic sweep? Wow. No, I just think Boston's gonna <laughs> not rely on him that uh, that much. I, I could see him, you know, maybe finding a role. I also just don't know exactly where he is health wise. They haven't been making a ton of noise about his availability yet, so it could be one of those situations where even you get into a series and you know what you like, so you're sprinkling him in, you know, carefully, um, and, and we'll see how that goes. I think we've reached the end of another episode of Open Floor, though, Michael. We will be back later this week to wrap up Clippers versus Nuggets. They're having a game seven. On Tuesday, we will dig into the um, the opening game of game one of the Eastern Conference Finals as well. We'll probably do a little bit of a Western Conference Finals preview once we know who the um, you know the uh, impending champion, Los Angeles Lakers, are going to be playing uh, in that series, Michael. Um, and we'll dig into all sorts of other stuff. If you've got offseason questions, trade scenarios, if you've got your favorite James Harden trade, whatever it might be, email them in, guys. Openfloormail at gmail.com. Openfloormail at gmail.com. And be sure to check out all of Michael's work York on GQ five thirty eight and everywhere else, he's on Twitter at Michael Vias and Victor Pina, and the same on Instagram at Michael Vias and Victor Pina. I'm on Instagram at Ben on Twitter at Ben We'll continue with the playoff coverage here for the next few weeks. I think we're about a month away, Michael, from crowning a champion. The bubble has held spectacularly well, and we're coming down the home stretch. All right, Michael. Until later this week, I will talk to you. Talk soon, man.
0: It'll sure feel like it elevate your entertainment using all your favorite apps like iHeart and play all your music radio and podcasts with the new Roku pro series. Your senses aren't better. Your TV is the journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road, but if you're ready for a change,
1: consider taking Zinn for a spin. Zinn nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime, no smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Get in gear with the Zen 10 Challenge and enjoy 10 smoke-free,
3: spit-free days for just $5.95. Order online and start your new journey today. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical.
2: There are some things that are
3: too good to keep a secret.
2: Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge.